Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Wednesday in the Mile High City. James Merrillat, Will Peterson, thrilled to be joined by our guy Andrew Mason as we get this thing off and rolling for another busy day in Broncos country. Not quite as crazy, obviously, as Monday was, but still a lot going on, fellas. We've got rumors around Jerry Judy. We've got the Broncos losing a couple players who played in a lot of games last year. We've got Traymond Smith coming to town. And, of course, we've got Aaron Rodgers talking about Nathaniel Hackett. James, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm a little fired up today, Will. I'm just going to throw that out there. You know what? I appreciate the honesty. Cause yeah, if but you'd... I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, well, if you just told me, you know what, Will, I'm good, and then you'd gotten grumpy would have yeah. been like what's going on here so you just it wouldn't have been fair warning so you know not that i'm like mad at you guys i mean obviously i'm excited mace is back he's in studio we're ready to talk broncos um but yeah you know i i think it's our guy jake shapiro if i'm just being honest jake <laughs> ticked me off today <laughs> all right well that's a good tease yeah, for a that's little our teaser when we talk nuggets a little later on in the show we absolutely will get to the nuggets we couldn't uh get to them much the last couple nights because so much broncos going on and guys there is so much Broncos going on today again. Uh, I thought personally the the juiciest stuff, we'll get to all the signings and the departures, but this report that the Broncos want at least a first-round pick for wide receiver Jerry Judy and more, where have we heard this language before? That was what we heard about Sean Payton. They want a first-round pick and more. It's very similar vibes to what it was going to take to acquire Payton. It's very similar vibes of what teams are going to ask for with Judy. James, we'll start with you. Why would you trade Jerry Judy? Because I wouldn't trade Jerry Judy. But if the package is overwhelming, do you kind of have to pull the trigger? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think that goes for anybody on the team, right? Like, you know, you can laugh at D-Mac's uh, idea of trading Pat Sertan. But if somebody comes to you with an offer like the Jags got for Jalen Ramsey, two ones and a four, you at least have to listen. Similar with Jerry Judy, but like, He's never had a thousand yards receiving in a in a in a season, and the Broncos want a number one, and then some. It's like, okay, I want four million dollars for my house. I can list it. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it. Um, it's a little bit. I just had to laugh when I read that report. I mean, I still feel like the whole hey, they're shopping Judy, they're shopping KJ Hamler is simply put out there by the Broncos so Cortland Sutton doesn't have his feelings hurt in case he has to come back. And then it's, well, how do we not hurt Jerry Judy's feelings? Oh, well, let's just make it sound like we're asking for a ton for him because that's how much we like him. This is all a ruse. I will be stunned, stunned if Jerry Judy gets traded. If somebody's silly enough to give up that for him, and I think Jerry Judy's a good player. I think he's the best offensive player on the team. But if somebody's willing to give up a couple of ones for him, okay, uh, I guess it's time to you know rip the, the Judy off the back of your 10 jersey and put Sanders back on. And the other thing also, I mean, if you're, if let's say it's not a couple of ones, but let's say it's like a one plus a two or a one plus a three, it's something you really have to think about. And part of it is you can get something of value for Jerry Judy. With all respect to Cortland Sutton, you're not going to get a high value deal because you're trading him at a low point. They always say if you're going to trade somebody, trade when the value is high. 
That's why you didn't trade Bradley Chubb last offseason, but you trade him in midseason when his value was high, and you get first-round pick, you turn to Sean Payton. So it would actually make more sense in that regard to trade Jerry Judy because you can probably get more value for him. And, oh, by the way, the funny thing is if you trade Jerry Judy and you get at least a first-round pick, you know what you're probably doing with that first-round pick? You're taking maybe a wide receiver. Maybe you're taking Jalen Hyde out of Tennessee. Maybe you're taking Zay Flowers from Boston College. Two guys who are really good. Yeah, I'm with you, Mace, but that's the part of it that I, it just doesn't add up to me, right? Like, if you're going to trade him, get a pick, and draft a receiver, it's like, well, just go with the known commodity. Go with the guy that's in his fourth year, pick up his fifth-year option, you got two more years of his rookie deal, and see what you have in him. Uh, and whoever would be trading him that first-round pick, if they really want a receiver, then why don't they just take a receiver with that that pick? Like, uh, there's just so much of this that that doesn't add up to me, which is why, guys, my, my BS meter is just it's pegged to the to the right on this one of I just think this is all a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of theatrics to make sure nobody has their feelings hurt in case they have to be out there when uh, when minicamp rolls around. Hmm. OK, an interesting theory there that they're doing this to protect Cortland Sutton's ego of all people. I, I can buy it a little bit, but I think it's even more so, James, that they're going to dangle Judy and then ask teams, well, rather than give us a one for Judy, how about a four for Cortland Sutton? You're getting a deal here. It almost feels like they're pinning them against each other and making other teams realize, hey, Judy's value is this high, but Sutton, we got a good deal for you right here. Yeah, but that's a little bit like you're at the airport and they're like, hey, listen, the flight to Cancun's a little over oversold, but I can get you to Des Moines. <laughs> I can get you there tonight and we'll put you up in the Motel 6. But you're going to pay the same as you're going to pay for the all-inclusive in uh, actually a little more in Cancun. But we can get you there. Like, I mean, if they can pull off that sales job, Will, uh, uh, more power to them. I mean, I can, hey, you're getting people on the phone. Maybe once you get them in there, uh, you, you can close the deal. But, boy, George Payton should win Salesman of the Year if he pulls that off. Isn't it more like, not to one, but like, with Coral and Sun, maybe you're trying to say, okay, you can't go to Cancun, but you can go to South Padre. Yeah, that's a better comparison. You get a beach at both of them. Yeah. You can't go to Cancun, but you can go to, uh, I don't know, uh, Saskatchewan. <laughs> you know who used to do that all the time, though? And I'm getting flashbacks. I, I've, I've only seen the movie once, but I've read the book a few times. Billy Bean with the Oakland Athletics, maybe one of the best GMs in sports history used to do that because he used to call and ask about player X when he really wanted player Y and go, eh, why don't you throw in this guy too? And the other GMs would be like, ah, sure, single A guy, you can have him. And then it would go on to be like Miguel Tejada or something, you know? So Checkers, and the checkers and chess, right? There's the difference. Yeah, it also, you said George Payton, James, Sean Payton could very well be actively involved in these trade talks. Maybe not totally making the call, but you can bet they're on speakerphone and both of them are in the office listening. Uh, maybe. I'm not as convinced of that as everybody else. I, I'm not. I, I kind of feel like Sean Payton, you know, jots down what he wants and then gives his orders to George and then, you know, hangs out and watches March Madness while George works the phone. That, that That's how, that's my perception. But, hey, we're, we're going to find out because after the draft, if things stay the way they are, then, okay, maybe it is George is pulling more of the strings. If George is no longer here, then it's because Sean realized, okay, I got this. Uh, so I'm not 100% sure that will. I'm not saying you're wrong. 
I'm just I'm waiting to see before I'm convinced that's what's happening behind the scenes. Mace, what do you think on that theory? Who's uh, making the big boy decisions here, George or Sean? I think Sean Payton's making the deals or decisions, and then George Payton's executing them. But I think we're, we're talking about players like Sean Payton. One, look, let's take Jared Stidham for example. That's a co- that's a coaching pickup right there because that's Davis Webb with a relationship with Jared Stidham that leads to that, right? Yep. So I think. This seems to me more like the personnel side doing the bidding of the coaching side. I agree. That's it. I'm 100% with you. I, I just don't think Sean Payton's working the phones. He's not the one calling people up and talking to agents and talking to other GMs and, you know, trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. I, I just don't think he's the one doing that. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye yeah. on these, Jerry. Oh, I agree with that. That's not his, that's not his job either. Mm, I, I he said at his press conference he's not a control freak. I think if you have to tell people you're not a control freak, you're a control freak. That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah. That's 100% spot on. All right. Well, we've got a lot to get to while we've got Mace here, so I want to hit on all the big news from today. Let's start with the signing of the day, and that is Traymond Smith. Uh, Mace, your article here at denversports.com says the Broncos offer another sign that they're serious about special teams. Traymond Smith is a corner, but he's also a returner. Where does this mean for the future of Montreal Washington, Mace? And what do you see Smith's role on this defense? Uh, kind of how many snaps a, a game do you expect him out there at corner? I mean, I think he's a number four corner. Uh, and he's not. He's actually number three in terms of the outside corners right now. So he plays if there's a an injury there. But he's a core special teamer. He's not just a returner. He's somebody who's going to be a gunner on punts as well. So that's... The intriguing thing here, and and I wrote about this at denversports.com. One of the things that is a thread that is going through what the Broncos are doing, these moves that are beyond the top-line ones of Allen, Powers, and McGlinchey, these other moves, special teams a part of it, and trying to get that phase right is a part of it. And clearly, Montreal, Washington was something that went wrong for yes. the Broncos last year, and I'd say he's probably very endangered in terms of his spot on the roster. Well, and the other part of this that, that makes sense, fellas, is, yeah, I get it. He's not a starting corner, but he is someone who can step in and play, uh, you know, outside of special teams if he has to. And he does other things, as Mace mentioned, on special teams. You're not using a, a roster spot for someone whose sole purpose is a returner and then trying to force some gadget plays every game to justify, you know, using one of the uh, the guys you can suit up on a, on a weekly basis to justify using that on a guy who really has one role and one role only. So, yeah, you, you're probably hoping he doesn't get on the field as a corner because that means, you know, Pat Sertans and Damari, Pat Sertan and Damari Mathis are healthy. But um, I, I think the fact that he can do more says uh, says that Montreal Washington's in trouble because he is a he's the the classic one trick pony. All he is is a return guy, and he wasn't even good at that role. So uh, that doesn't bode well for the uh, heading into his second year. All right, but just playing devil's advocate here, and I'm not a Montreal Washington fan. I never have been. I was with Cecil Lamy all along. The pick didn't make sense, but they cut bait with Isaiah McKenzie awfully early. And he made a nice home for himself with the Buffalo Bills, a contender year in and year out. Do we really want to give up on Washington, an absolute speedster, this quickly in the process? Uh, uh, yeah. If you can't do anything else, 
I mean, uh, you know, uh, Isaiah McKenzie, look, Broncos had to part ways with him. How many fumbles did he have here? It was almost like you couldn't put him back on the field. He was he was Melvin Gordon-esque. He needed a change of scenery, and sometimes that that, that is what, uh, what ends up working for a guy, and it's a better fit. But, I mean, you, you start to hear these conversations about, hey, they might try him in the backfield and have him be – it's like, okay, now we're trying to square peg round hole this thing. Uh, I think if he doesn't fit with the way you want to go about running your team, and that's guys who can play special teams, do multiple things, can actually step out on the field uh, and play offense and defense, then, yeah, you part ways. Let's, uh, let somebody else try and turn him into a gadget player. I'll tell you what's interesting about uh, Traymond Smith, though, is that his background is a kickoff returner, not really as a punt returner. Mm. He has limited experience as a punt returner. So there's, there's a window for Montreal, Washington to maybe – get back the punt return job. But he's going to have an uphill climb to do it. And, yeah, I do fear that maybe you're, you'd be cutting him too soon, that maybe mm-hmm. you didn't give him enough time. But this is also part and parcel of going forward with Sean Payton. I don't think he's going to wait on players in whom he doesn't have anything invested. And that's an, another kind of th- thread that's going through all this is, some, sometimes the replacements, okay, let's just get somebody else. Chris Manhurts is a solid blocker and a good and a solid depth tight end. I don't know that he's a huge upgrade over, say, Eric Tomlinson, Eric Saubert, but he's different. He's their guy. And I think we're going to see some more moves where it's, okay, it's not that the other player couldn't contribute. We just want our person. We just want our guy. Well, I just finished uh, the, the most recent book I just read was called Quit. Okay. It, was by, it was by Annie Duke. She's a professional poker player. And it's all these different studies and all these different examples of when you know, you know, right? Like the worst thing you can do is keep heading down the wrong path and hoping you're going to get a different result. When you know you're on the wrong path, you're best to stop and move on to something else. And this whole, you know, everybody's got the motivational things up on their wall and winners never quit and quitters never win and all the rest of that stuff. That's not necessarily true if you know you're going down the wrong path. Um, I think you can talk to a lot of bosses out there and ask them, hey, has there ever been somebody you wanted to fire, you didn't, and you're glad you didn't? That is a very rare thing. Okay. All right. Well, they fired Isaiah McKenzie, and he uh, worked out pretty well in a different market. But I I hear what you're saying about Mm -hmm. the change of scenery. I'm not trying to walk you off there. I I get it. But Mace did bring up Eric Saubert, one of the two players the Broncos lost today along with just in the last uh, half hour here, Deshaun Williams to Carolina, uh, a, a defensive lineman on a thin defensive line. James, we'll bounce back to you. Which one's the bigger loss? Saubert, who played in all 17 games, almost as many as Albert O and Dulcich combined, or Deshaun Williams on a defensive line that was already quite thin? I think it's Deshaun Williams just because of how thin they are in the defensive line. But if we're being honest, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but if we're being honest... Both of them are just kind of guys, right? Like you can go find players that ended up getting cut or that are, you know are still out there as free agency goes along, and and plug them into either one of these roles. Look how they acquired those two guys. It's through that kind of a uh, that kind of a route. So I don't think these are any great losses. Doesn't mean that, that they aren't decent players and can contribute, but I think they're eminently replaceable. Both of them. I would say Deshaun Williams had more upside and more immediate need, but that just means the Broncos have to go find somebody else for that position. Yeah, on the defensive line, first of all, that's one of the spots where you may get some more continuity 
in terms of the depth than, you, than other spots because Marcus Dixon did stay on as defensive line coach. And they have two guys they drafted last year, round four, round six, Eni Awazirike and Matt Henningsen, who were pretty solid rotational guys by the end of the season. And so basically either one of them can be Deshaun Williams. I, okay. I think you look right now, assuming my, they bring Mike Purcell back, there was some talk he could be a cap casualty. But you've actually got a, a pretty workable five-player rotation right now on the defensive line. Uh, Henningsen and Wazirike rotate in. The three, Allen, Purcell, um, and DJ Jones, they start. You're good. So I'd say uh, Saubert's the one I, that I thought, okay, maybe they would have brought him back because you don't really have the same kind of youth in reserve there to kind of uh, to back it up in the same way that you have on the defensive line. But uh, James, I think, is, is right that, you know, you're talking about, you know, they're, they're, they're not guys who have a high demand about them. They're replaceable. Yeah, but with Saubert, he did play all 17 games. Greg Dulcich... Uh, James, you talk all the time about how he couldn't stay healthy, the hamstring. Albert O was on the field for, you know, about half the games this year. Yes, that was more due to him being inactive and ultimately incompetent coaching, but there is value to availability. Some would say that's the best trait in the NFL. So for Sobert, who I guarantee you didn't get big money from the Dolphins, to just let him walk when he was a serviceable guy last year in a season that went so south, I'm not saying Eric Sobert's a Hall of Famer, but it just... It felt like one to me, a depth tight end that they needed to bring back, especially because Manhurts is a pass, or excuse me, a run blocking tight end. He's not going to fill the role necessarily. With Tomlinson, I agree with the comparison. With Sobert, I thought there was a little more offensive potential there. Uh, well, you know, and, and when you have a 5 and 12 season, most of the moments that stick out to you are, are bad plays, right? And so when I think of, and you start thinking about guys who've left, when I think of, P.J. Locke, it's, it's running into Montreal, Washington and causing the fumble in overtime on the punt at the Chargers. When I think of Graham Glasgow, it's, hey, it's the little, it's going to be a dump-off pass to Javante Williams on the final drive week one in Seattle. He's going to go for 20-plus yards and make that field goal a chip shot to win it. And Graham Glasgow gets blown up back into it by the one guy uh, th- that was out there between Javante Williams and a big gain. Uh, when I think of Eric Salbert, I'm going uh, uh, gonna to think of, remember the Carolina game? When Latavius Murray hit the long run, yes, the 56 yeah. yard run, and that drive doesn't end in a touchdown, there's a play, and I think it's Sobert and Tomlinson that are on the field. And both the tight ends just whiff on both ends of the line, just completely don't even touch anybody. And the play blows up, and, uh, you know, the running back gets crushed. It's like, okay, I think you can find uh, 35 guys that can go out there, and you can find 350 guys that can go out there and whiff. I don't think it's any great loss. Well, the other thing also, when you go when you go five and twelve like the Broncos did, and you're looking around the roster, sometimes you're just making changes. Say, okay, let's get somebody else. Let's. I, yeah. what, what I think we've seen here is a transfusion. Let's just get some new blood in here because the old blood. It wasn't working. It's Sometimes it very much is, all right, I don't know if we got better, but let's just get somebody else. All right, are you guys surprised, James, in particular, that Dalton Reisner hasn't found a new home yet? I mean, because if Deshaun Williams and Eric Saubert are getting deals, 
you would have thought a guy like Reisner would be off the board essentially late in the day on day three of NFL free agency. Yeah, uh, you know, I thought he would have been a, a, a guy that we would have heard something during uh, the first two days, the the legal tamping, tampering period, right? Like you'd hear something Monday, you'd hear something Tuesday. The fact that we still haven't heard anything and it's almost, you know, end of the day here on Wednesday is very surprising to me. Will, you and I had the, you know, the the – banter back and forth and you know i was saying hey he was the best guard out there and then you pulled up a list and he was third but still like he's still the third best left guard out there you would think somebody would be looking at at adding him so maybe he just thinks his value is uh ben powers-esque and nobody else thinks that so uh yeah i'm surprised i'm surprised that a guy is you know first second or third best guard available still is uh is without a team or maybe he's being held back uh by the incident on christmas day you know Oh, Maybe. shoving match with the backup quarterback. And the other thing also on Dalton Reisner, injuries have kind of caught up with him. And he's he's played through a lot of injuries over the course of his career. Going back to his rookie season, he played a good chunk of the year on a high ankle sprain. So that may be something that's a concern as well as the lengthy injury history that he has. He will certainly be the next big-name Bronco to walk out the door. Not that Sobert and Williams and Mike Boone and Andrew Beck – and Calvin Anderson are big names. Reisner's a bigger name than all five of them. He will actually be the second biggest name to leave outside of Draymond Jones. All right, guys. The oh. fact that those five guys, though, Will, sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. The fact that those five guys that left all played fairly significant roles on this team is why they were 5-12. and 12. Mm. They didn't have the depth, necessarily. Yeah, and exactly. our exercise like, of trying to pick mm-hmm. the 10 best players kind of proved that, right? Exactly. Exactly. And again, I don't mean that it, it, to be disparaging, but... Those are guys that, you know, the bottom half of a roster that you can kind of change over from team to team to team, and they're all fairly interchangeable. And in Denver this past year, especially late in the year, due to injuries, they were guys that, um, you know, had had probably bigger roles than anybody anticipated. I give them credit for going out there and, you know, yeoman's effort, but uh, I I don't think they're players that uh, are going to be particularly missed. Not only that, the three guys that you cut, Chase Edmonds, Graham Glasgow, um, and Ronald Darby, there hasn't been a nibble on them yet. No new homes for any of those three guys yeah. yet. That's a good point. The sound of the day, guys. This uh, sent social media ablaze. The Pat McAfee, Aaron Rodgers saga. Thankfully, Broncos country, we went through that a year ago. We're not all that involved this time around, but in a way, we kind of are. You've got to listen here to Aaron Rodgers talking about why he wants to go to the New York Jets. There's you know, a lot of reasons why you know the, the Jets are attractive, but... You know, there's one coach who's been as much to me as any coach I've ever had, and he happens to be the coordinator there. So, Okay, so that did matter when it happened. Okay, and it ended up mattering, potentially. It didn't matter at the time, for sure. But there was obviously, a, you know, an interest from them and just from, you know, quite a few other teams. But that seemed to be the... Uh, Hackett was at the bottom yeah, of the bottom, remember? Time. <laughs> Pat McAfee, Rogers didn't say him by name, but then McAfee's like, wait a minute. Hackett was the joke of the NFL. James, how big a window did the Broncos miss by hiring Hackett and not getting Rodgers when he says today, essentially, he wants to go to the Jets because Nathaniel Hackett's a coordinator there? You know, sometimes when you you maybe make a wager, Will, and you lose the bet, but you still feel like you were on the right side of the bet. Oh, I've heard you talk about that with Stoke and Zach many a times on steak dinners. Yeah, like you had it right. Like I, I said, Philip Lindsay wouldn't rush for a thousand yards, and he rushed for a thousand and two. Like I think I kind of had it right, but I feel like the Broncos uh, and George Payton kind of had the right plan here. 
they were just a year early with it, and it didn't quite work out. So uh, kudos to the Jets. We all, you know, we we connected the dots of why on earth would you hire a guy who, you know, oversaw the worst offense in the league? Well, there had to be a a secondary reason. It was Aaron Rodgers all along, and this time it looks like it's finally going to pan out. I mean, you have to wonder, though, what last year would have looked like if the Broncos had gone Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Because, look, it would have been better because they would have just run their offense. Yeah, clearly plan A was Aaron. Right. And we're actually going to find out, assuming the Jets pony up and make the deal, we're going to find out on Aaron Rodgers if some of his decline last year was because he was out without his good buddy Nathaniel Hackett. And maybe those two just need each other. Well, did you see our theory is starting to, you know, kind of build up some steam here of uh, week one? I did. Oh, yes. You were the first one on that, and a lot of people are now saying primetime, probably not Sunday night football, but perhaps Monday night football. Two big-name quarterbacks, and you got to get that game in early because you never know how either one of those teams are going to do. But that is a uh, that is a juicy matchup early in the season. All right. Well, hopefully you were with us for the last 26 minutes as we caught you up on all the happenings in Broncos country today. But coming up next, James Merrillat is mad about the Nuggets, particularly these excuses about injuries. We'll dive into it. Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Appreciate Andrew Mason hanging out with us the first segment. James, you like that kind of rapid fire bounce around everything that happened in Bronco land today? I love it. It flew by. It is fun this week of the year. and Next week will be the same way, maybe a little less intensity. Then it'll calm down, and then the NFL draft will roll around. And uh, we'll get to the Nuggets real quick, but James, how much more interesting is the NFL draft going to be? If the Broncos pull a, pull the trigger on one of these wide receiver trades and get some significant capital back, oh well, it'll be it certainly will be more interesting. I, I just feel like trading Jerry Judy for a first round pick to just try and replace him with a rookie wide receiver it seems like you're just driving in circles. You're Clark Griswold in European vacation. And you can't get out of the roundabout. Yeah, uh, if you can get something for Cortland Sutton of significance, heck yeah! Not only do you free up the the cap space, but you you add some draft capital. That's a win win. Yeah, if it's Judy, though, if they're asking for a first and more, you know, our, our Thursday night plans for the NFL draft change significantly, no right? Doubt. No doubt. No doubt. We it, will, uh, you know, we, we, we were kind of like uh, the we were planning on being kind of like the Rams media was last year. Uh, we would uh, we would have different plans if uh, if they get a one for him. Well, media, us and, and fans, too. Right. What's for the sure. interest in the first night of the NFL draft if you're a Broncos fan right now versus, oh, the Broncos are picking 12. I'm just making up a number, but somewhere in that range because they traded Jerry Judy, you know? Yeah, I mean, you only had a morbid curiosity before, right? You would be watching to see who Seattle would take at five. Yes. I mean, that's of interest. You'd be watching to see who the Saints pick at, what was the what was the choice from the Niners, 29? Yeah, late like 20s, yeah. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be curious because then you have a name and a, and a face to connect with. Okay. That was one of the big pieces of the Russell Wilson deal, and that's the player you gave up for Sean Payton. There'd be that kind of that curiosity, but that wouldn't be a lot of fun. So, yeah, I mean, it would make it more interesting, but you can't make moves just because. Like people just get so into, oh, what's behind door number three, and gotta have draft picks, gotta have draft picks. You know, a good percentage of them turn out to be flops and turn out to be busts. I think you just now are starting to see what you could get out of Jerry Judy. And if someone is has seen that and is willing to give you a first and then some for him, don't you have to sit there and go, 
what am I missing here? What do they know that I don't know? What are they seeing that, that, that I don't see? Unless it's all just about purging everyone who has any sort of cryptic tweets and, you know, quote unquote, bad attitude or anything like that. Otherwise, I'd be going, hang on a second. What is uh, what does the suitor know that I don't know? Yeah, it, it'll be fascinating to watch as these wide receiver trade rumors continue to gain steam. But I got to talk to you about the Nuggets because not only did they lose their fourth in a row last night in Toronto, it was the fourth straight game. They played no defense. I know that bothered you enough. You, you wrote a really good column today at denversports.com that I would encourage people to check out about Michael Malone and sort of the, the significance of this road trip to, to him and how it affects his coaching status moving forward. But you said you're ticked off because of Jake Shapiro, and he wrote, yeah. a, he wrote a thorough article this afternoon with the headline, Injuries are affecting the Nuggets way more than you think during this skid. To what you responded, and here comes the excuses. Good grief. Every team has bumps and bruises. Losing Zeke Naji threw them off? I have heard it all now. I will give you the floor about why injuries are not valid for the Denver Nuggets' struggles right now. Well, Zeke Naji's the only guy who currently is out. I mean, Kankar has played in the last two games. Aaron Gordon's been back since before the All-Star break. Jamal Murray, who couldn't finish the game against Brooklyn because he had a bad knee, but all be goodness, he could play 40 minutes back in Toronto in front of the hometown fans. So cry me a river about your injuries when you were so banged up, you couldn't finish a game when you were 5 of 19 and your team lost by two. But you could two nights later, you could play 40 minutes. Okay, so first of all, I don't want to hear about injuries from him because clearly he's fine. I don't want to hear about load management from him because that was a game he should have taken off, and he didn't for reasons that had nothing to do with what's best for the team. It was all a, a selfish move of, hey, I haven't been back and able to play in Toronto in three years, so I'm going to be on the court. Um, so I, I just don't want to hear it. I, I mean, Aaron Gordon missed seven games, missed seven games in the month of February. Take a guess what their record was in those games. Mm, I'll say four and three. Five and two. Okay. So you're telling me Aaron Gordon being back on the court is making him worse? That's why they've, they've lost four in a row? Uh, he doesn't look quite the same. He's not they playing at that all. Down. They were right. five and two without him. But, James, he's not playing at that all-star level that we saw him play at in the first half of the season. That's pretty apparent, right? Then shut him down, right? Like, then, then he just shouldn't be playing because they had no problems winning basketball games when he wasn't playing. They beat Golden State by 17. They beat Chicago by 14 on the road, a team that they couldn't beat uh, a little bit ago. So it's like, okay, let's uh, let's just shut him down. If Jamal Murray's that hurt, then shut him down. Why is he playing 40 minutes? But in play who, James? Like, you don't have Bones Island anymore. What, what, what fault is that? More minutes for Jeff Green? Like, I'd rather have, I'd rather have half-speed Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon than half this bench. Okay, but who did they play for Aaron Gordon when he missed seven games in February? I would assume it was more Christian Brown. That's when he was still in the rotation, right? Okay. So, I mean, they found a way then. They didn't trade away. I mean, I can see Bones being gone. All right, you don't have an option if Jamal can't go. But that's on that's on Michael Malone, too. I mean, nobody wanted to listen to me when I said, because it was 100% everybody throwing Bones Highland under the bus, and he walked off the court, and he went home, and you have to trade him, and he's a bad guy. And there was one person saying, timeout, guys. Let's just not just take the Nuggets narrative here and act like it's, you know, chiseled in stone and we brought it down off Mount Sinai. It takes two to tango. And Bones Highland said, All-Star Weekend, good relationship with my teammates, good relationship with the front office. The coaches, the coach didn't communicate with me. 
And that didn't sound alarm bells in this town because everybody, Teflon Mike, everybody's afraid to say anything negative about him. And that worm is starting to turn. And here's the deal. They got four more games on this road trip. The Detroit's got to be a win tomorrow night. The Wizards at the end of it has to be a win. You got the Knicks and Brooklyn back-to-back afternoon games this weekend. You should split that. So three and one would be fine. You're back on track. Two and two, okay, it's not a disaster. Anything short of that, if they're one and seven or zero oh and eight in their last eight home, uh, eight games when they come home, it's time to start considering making a change and making a change now. Because otherwise, will you are risking wasting the three best years of Nikola Jokic's career. You're going to waste three MVP or MVP caliber seasons because that guy is in over his head and that guy is your head coach. Okay, but hold, hold on just a second. I did read your article, so I knew this was coming. But, James, I feel like firing a coach of a number one seed in March would probably be the most unprecedented move in NBA history. Do you think so? Okay, but do, but do you do you want this to happen, or do you think there's any chance it could happen? Because I think, I think there's a happen. big fat zero percent chance that happens. I think it should happen. And, and last night was a prime example, and it had nothing to do with what happened during the game. It was after the game during his press conference. There's Michael Malone up there making it all about himself and throwing his players under the bus in that entire press conference. Did he ever say, "I need to do a better job"? I need to do a better job of getting these guys prepared. I need to get a do a better job of making sure they're not, they're not in chill mode. No, it was, I'm going to be here. I'm showing up today. I'm showing up tomorrow. I'm showing up the day after. I'm going to fight. Who's going to come fight with me? We're going to find out because he's just such a, such a little scrapper, and he just wants to see who's going to get in there with him. It was all about Michael Malone is great, and my players are letting us down. Well, we've heard this before, right? It was – Hey, we quit after game two in Phoenix when they wound up getting swept. Nothing about how he could have used timeouts differently to create the, to stop the avalanche before it got out of control. It was, hey, we lost in five to the Warriors, and his entire end-of-the-season press conference was griping and complaining about how they have the worst perimeter defense in the NBA. So they go get KCP and Bruce Brown, and they draft Christian Brown. Their defense is still terrible. At what point is it a Michael Malone problem? Mm. At what point does that guy ever look in a mirror? Well, I think if they lose in the playoffs relatively early, I think Josh Crockey and Calvin Booth will contemplate a change. And that will be a colossal miss. You will have wasted the three best seasons Nikola Jokic is likely to ever have. I think thinking there's a change in the next four games if this road trip continues to go poorly. Uh, James, I, I understand you're saying it should happen. Not that it will happen or anything like that. But I just think it would be maybe the craziest head coaching firing firing in NBA history, and I just see just no chance that the Nuggets make a change midseason when they have the number one okay. seed a, a few weeks before the playoffs. It's, 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 a, it's an idea that is out there. I, I will say that. Okay, well, in 1989, the University of Michigan, heading into the NCAA tournament, moved on from Bill Frieder and promoted Steve Fisher, their assistant coach. That was a team with Ramiel Robinson, Glenn Rice. That was a good team. They went on and won the national championship, beating Seton Hall. I think it was up in Seattle. So it's not unprecedented that you bring in somebody that's already on the staff and say, you know what, that guy is bad for what's going on in this locker room. We can all see it, and you don't want to find yourself in May kicking yourself saying, you know what, we knew it. We knew it in March that he had lost this team, but we didn't want to do something unprecedented. We didn't want to do something that people might scratch their head at. It's like, if you know, you know. 
And I, I don't know how you watch this team and don't think he has, not you, but everybody in general, and not think he's lost them. They gave up 49 points in the first quarter yesterday. That is not a team that's ready to play. Now, is that con- completely on the head coach? No, of course it's somewhat on the players, but that doesn't mean none of the blame falls on the head coach. But listening to him last night with his little I'm going to be here, who's going to be here with me rant about how great he is and how his players are letting him down was just uh, the, the turnoff of all turnoffs for me as a Nuggets fan. All right, and I hear what you're saying, but with all due respect, it was a bad four games. And your example's from 1989, so it would be unprecedented in the last, I guess, 33 years. So it's it's not like this happens once every three seasons in the NBA. This would be this would rock, absolutely rock the basketball world if it happened. Okay, yeah. So I, I just don't care if you know that he's not the right guy and he's lost the the locker room and in particular one of your three best players then I think it's you're not paying attention as management if you don't look at it and say, what can we do? And look, you're not going to go hire somebody from the outside. It's going to be David Adelman who's going to be promoted, and he would be the head coach, and he did a fine job when Michael Malone was out with uh, um, you know COVID restrictions or whatever that they've got, and I think that would be fine. I don't, think, I don't think there's a chance, Will, that you take a step backward by making that move. But there is a chance you take a step forward. If he's so on the hot seat that if they lose in the first or second round, he's getting fired, then why are you keeping him around? Because the way they're playing right now, they ain't getting out of the second round, and they may not get out of the first round the way they're playing right now. It's a fascinating column. I would encourage people to read it at denversports.com. It'll certainly make you think, uh, and James, I appreciate the healthy debate on it. Coming up next, we'll put a bow on the Broncos' day, including what other moves and how much cap space do they exactly have left. Station 1043 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. Appreciate all the reaction on the RamosLaw.com text line 303-713-1043. James, you certainly have Nuggets fans fired up, but uh, absolutely. Handful of people agreeing with you that Malone is a problem and uh, that they are going to learn that the hard way in the postseason, as the 2247 put it. The Lakers got rid of Paul Westhead two years after he'd won a title and replaced him with Pat Riley. That turned out pretty well. The Sonics got rid of their coach, replaced him with Lenny Wilkins. They went all the way to the NBA Finals, lost to the Bullets, then won the title the next year. I mean, it's happened before, and yeah, it's been a long time ago in those instances. The most recent example where an interim coach, manager, whatever, won the title was 2003 Jack McKeon with the Florida Marlins. Baseball is a little bit of a different animal. I just think if you know what the problem is and you ignore it, then it's on you as management if you come up short. All right. Well, again, I would encourage people to go check it out, um, particularly because Jake Shapiro has a very different take on what is going on with the Nuggets right now. Yeah, Nuggets excuse. That's what that's what Jake Shapiro, he's the host of that show. Nuggets <laughs> excuse. Oh, man. All right. All right. The, the Broncos today, uh, another eventful day. Not, not as many signings, but... Guys coming to town, guys leaving town. Aaron Rodgers makes news about Nathaniel Hackett. There's rumors about Jerry Drudy, all that stuff. The Broncos did add Traymond Smith, though. James, in terms of cap space, Traymond Smith and Chris Manhurts are not yet listed on Spotrack or Spotrack, as some people call it. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's the Guru Salary Cap website. They project that the Broncos have 
about $10 million left in cap space. Man, James, for a team that spent almost $250 million, and yes, there's two smaller contracts to still come in, to find a way to go from $40 million in cap space to $10 million, that is some creative accounting. Uh, no doubt. And if, it's what you can do when you have a lot of cash, right? Because you, you do a big signing bonus. That counts toward to the player as what they're making this year, right? But in terms of how it counts against the cap, it gets spread out evenly over the length of the contract. So you can make their base salary small this year, but they got a big signing bonus, so they actually, you know, take-home pay is pretty good, but it doesn't count that much against this year's cap. That's what you can do when you can write big checks. So uh, kudos to the Broncos for that. Based on that number, I don't know that they're done shopping. Right. I mean, ten million bucks. Most of their big guys, McGlinchey, Powers, I think their number for this year is under that. So it would be tight, and you have to leave yourself a little bit of wiggle room. Uh, for during the season, in case you have some injuries, you have to sign some guys and bring some in some guys. But you know that's probably three or four million dollars of wiggle room. You don't need any more than that. So they could get they could get creative. They still could release some guys, restructure some guys. They're not done if they don't want to be done. Trade Corlin Sutton. That would be a big one. Yep. What do you make of the? And this is this is kind of kind of half serious, kind of serious. What do you make of Pat Sertan the second tweeting the eyes emojis today? Like, oh, I know something you guys don't. And then a few hours later, his buddy Darius Slay tweeting the eyes emojis out there in Philadelphia. When you say they may not be done, could it be as big a home run as someone like a Darius Slay? Uh, that would be a huge home run. And, yeah, it could be. I don't think that the eye emojis mean nothing. I don't. I don't think it's coincidental. But it could just be that they're messing with us too, right? Like, right. It just could be, hey, watch this take, uh, take off like wildfire. And there really is nothing there. But, you know, it's worth watching. And all of a sudden, boy, the Broncos' uh, cornerbacks would be uh, a position of strength again. And then some if you made that move. So uh, I don't think they're quite done shopping. I just don't know it's going to be anybody that big a name. But, hey, it wouldn't surprise me because, Will, they have been the biggest spenders in free agency and there's no reason to believe they're not going to keep doing that if they think they can get somebody who can help them win this year. If there was any question, if they're all in and it's win-now mode, that question has been emphatically in oh, yeah. win-now time in Denver. When you spend close to $250 million thus far in free agency, we all love Mr. B, Pat Bolin, but he didn't have the kind of cash this ownership group has, and that's... That's a really nice thing to have in an owner, James. Well, it's like being a fan of the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers. They can buy their way out of mistakes. Now, it's it's a little easier in a non-salary cap sport like baseball, but that's essentially what the Broncos are doing, right? They yes. traded away draft capital, so how are we going to get our ourselves out of that? Because we're not a very good team. We only have five picks, and none of them until the third round. We're going to buy our way out of trouble. That's exactly what they're doing. It always flies by. It's always fun. We'll keep you posted at denversports.com. For KJ, for James, I'm Will, Denver Sports Station, 104.3, The Fan.